Welcome to the healing arts of being you. Today we're joined by our wonderful friend, Dr. Thalia Dorsen, to discuss how our inner child carries the weight of our trauma and how we can reparent these parts of ourselves to heal their pain and nurture our minds as a whole. Thalia beautifully explains the way that the brain separates and delineates our responses into multiple roles as we go through life and how we can learn to recognize and validate these versions of ourselves, breaking them free of their chains and creating a foundation of trust within our nervous system. With a willingness to see and connect with these neglected and wounded parts of our inner child, we can begin to understand how they have shaped our emotional responses, framed our perspectives, and manifested into our behaviors. We can release ourselves from the grasp of what is unresolved, be it abandonment, neglect, abuse, and pain, and provide ourselves with the care, love, and support that we may not have received as a child. We can take responsibility for our actions going forward, allowing that part of ourselves to rest in the moments that trigger us, and to instead reside in the joyous, playful role they are intended and deserving of in our minds. Without any further ado, let's get started. Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us for the Healing Art of Being You podcast. Today is a fun one. We're mixing things up a little bit. We have got Thalia with us today as a guest co-host. Um, Chelsea is out taking care of some family issues and some health issues with her um, with her mom. So we're gonna we're gonna let her go take care of that. And Thalia and I are going to help cover a really fun topic. Um, and fun as in super helpful, but not so much fun as in fun to do sometimes because it can be pretty heavy. But today we are going to talk about inner child work and what is our inner child and how do we utilize that connection in order to help our minds and our bodies feel a little bit better. Um, since Thalia is such a brilliant genius on understanding these things and explaining them so well, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you, Thalia, to just kind of give us a little bit of an understanding of like what even is an inner child, where did all this come from, and how can we like utilize that understanding in our day? Ah. Uh. Love. I'm so excited to be here too, Allison. And it's just really great to be back. If you haven't listened, I did have another podcast episode with Allison and Chelsea, the three of us together. It was super magical. Mm -hmm. So I am really happy that I got invited back on to just continue having really great conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't call myself an expert in <laughs> child work, but I have done a lot of it myself and I use it with my other clients. And certainly it's like you said, so important for us to continue to do on a regular basis. So I got exposed to inner child work when I did my first round of EMDR therapy, which was so, so impactful. And my therapist introduced me to something called internal family systems. And like the nerd that I am, I just had to, I just had to get all the information about what is this internal family systems. And then I actually discovered this book. So if you're watching on YouTube, you, I'm pulling it out in front of you. Otherwise audio, it's called No Bad Parts. And it was written by the person who invented the internal family systems model, Dr. Richard Schwartz. So it's a really great read if you want to dive into what is the internal family system and how can you integrate your internal family system and create more peace in your life within the family. And what do I mean by that? What even is the internal family system? It's basically this idea of we have an outer family, right? Where there's the kid and the mom and maybe another mom or the dad and the uncle and all these parts. Well, we also have those same parts in ourselves, which is crazy to think about because you're like, in the past, it was seen as very much a stigma if you have pieces talking to you or parts or people talking to you, right? So nobody wants to admit that they have voices in their head. <laughs> uh, but it's true. We all have voices in our head and they're coming from these different parts. So we have the parent part, right? That's trying to protect us or give us rules or tell us what to do. Sometimes this part is also called the inner critic. Uh, we have parts of us that are these wounded inner child parts that are these pieces of us that kind of get broken off in time every time we have a wound within ourselves. And they put these stories on loop about the things that wounded them. So for instance, you know, think about a kid who got bullied for 
having big teeth. I just made that up. But <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody out there who's experienced that. Hermione Granger did. And she was deep and near to our souls for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine then that that story is going to be playing on loop, even in this person's adulthood. So maybe they were got super rich and famous one day and then totally changed their teeth, right? Because of that part that thought that they needed to change because they weren't lovable for having big teeth, you know? So that's how our inner child parts can really take over our lives in such a way where they are just making decisions for us. Mm -hmm. Meaning that these wounded parts or this inner critic, or, you know, you can name all your parts, whatever you want. They are in the driver's seat and that's what creates chaos in our world or chaos in your life. So part of this like integrated family systems part is about recognizing that there are no bad parts, that all these parts are here for a reason. They're here to keep you safe. They all have one goal, your survival, but they all have these different opinions about how to help you survive and thrive. And that's where the kind of chaos can form or the conflicting ideas where we can get stuck in like feeling paralyzed, not able to take action or feel really confused and conflicted uh, because we have all these different parts of us telling us all these different things. When we can acknowledge these parts that we and love our parts and at the same time step into our full self, which is self with a capital S, right? Who we are at our souls, our authentic beings, being in our driver's seat of our own selves. That's when we can honor these parts and then thrive and create a little more consistency and harmony and balance within ourselves, which is reflected outward in our world. Gotcha. So it sounds like it's more along the lines of like, instead of just like, ugh, this part is immature. I can't believe I still have this is a problem for me. And oh my gosh, like my inner critic, this or that. It's really more calling everybody to the table and hearing what everybody has to say. And then kind of as that capital S self, then making your decisions based on like what really holds merit and what is something that really just needs to be kind of like, given some attention, given some love, but then also doesn't need to be part of the decision-making process. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I mean, would you let your child drive the car, your <laughs> five-year-old child drive? <laughs> no, no. But I would listen to them when they talk about how it's not fair that they don't get to drive. And then I can tell them, like, I can see why you would feel that way. I can understand why that would be really frustrating for you and things like that. Um, okay. Very cool. So, with regards to, like, have you seen this manifest with your own, like, PT patients? Like, I know that I have, for sure, where people are, like, holding on to these very old thought processes, these very old patterns from, like, childhood of that, a lot of the, um, I, the can'ts, I can't do this because of whatever, and then they spent the last 20 years not doing a certain thing because they're convinced it's going to hurt them or because they saw a parent do it and their parent had pain with it so that they don't do it. Um, or like, I'm sure that you have seen, like when you have a parent coming in and their child's coming in, their child is mimicking the same sorts of behaviors. And then it's like, does that carry into adulthood where it's like, oh, well, my mom had chronic back pain. So I have chronic back pain kind of stuff. Do you see that as well in your practice? Oh my gosh. You just named so many really good examples of how our patterning shows up in our lives. And that's Exactly it, right? All of this is just learned behavior from what we observe in the world. And that's what creates these stories in our head, especially when it's like something that triggers a negative emotion, because we tend to hang on to that more because our brains are wired to notice the negative more than the positive. And so we have to constantly fight that battle. But yeah, I definitely have seen it in my own practice. And I have one client that comes to mind where we did a lot of this kind of work actually in our care together. Because she was having this like chronic pain that was nobody was telling her where it was coming from or why it was there. And this isn't her first rodeo with chronic pain. It was just the worst that she experienced. She, she's had multiple surgeries, multiple chronic issues. But this one kind of spread where it was her entire body was painful. Like all of her joints hurt. She described it as bugs trying to eat their way out of her joints, which sounds awful, right? Totally terrible. So we were doing like the normal PT stuff, which was, you know, helping at least keep her active, but she was already the most active 
athlete ever. She was constantly going and she was just fighting through her pain. And what I finally realized, I was like, I feel like we need to go a little bit deeper here, right? Like get into some of this work. And so we applied some of this where I literally just sat her down and we were in this quiet place. And after we had built up a lot of trust to go into this stuff, but I just dropped into a meditation with her and asked her to invite her parts to the table, essentially, to be like, first identifying kind of like, what are the feelings that you're having, right? That's the easiest way to identify parts is dropping into a feeling of, okay, so what's the feeling here? And hers was this, this uh, feeling not good enough, feeling fear, feeling uh, hopeless, right? Those are some of her words that she came up with. And so we sat there and then I just asked her like, okay, who's, can you tell me who is bringing that feeling towards you? If anybody like, so we started there. I just started asking her those questions and then she identified this little version of herself and this little version, that's the one that was really scared. And then she identified another part that was present and it was that she described it as, and this is what's fun about your parts is that you can start to see them in your mind's eye. So she like saw herself and the location is so important. It tells you so much. So she was telling me that her inner child self, her wounded inner child was hiding underneath like a table. And then there was this clouded black, really, really big figure that was like in the room with her and wasn't, and it was like really scary and she didn't want to look at it. And she realized that this part was kind of holding all the cards at this point, right? So then I asked her, okay, is this little version of you, like, does she know that you're here? Right? Often our young parts, they think that we're still that age. They don't know that we've grown up yet. And that's where a lot of the chaos actually comes from. And she was like, um, no, she's not. And then I was like, well, can you introduce yourself to her and tell her that you're here. And at first, like this child didn't trust her. Right. And like, how insane is that? That like a piece of ourselves doesn't trust the other part of ourselves, but this is real. And this is what, this is what creates a lot of the disconnect within ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyways, like long story short, we got into all that work of just trying to create trust with her inner child, first and foremost, to let her know that we're here, that we're listening and then to explain to this part, hey, I'm a grown-up now. I can handle these situations, right? And we can, we can address this dark figure. They don't have to be so scary in the room. And, you know, eventually it became that that dark figure, like the, the fear around it melted away. And it actually turned out to be a guardian. Her grandfather who had passed, it was like his spirit coming in to try to protect her. But she couldn't see that because all she saw was like the fear that was kind of over it and clouding it and making it scary. And then once she was able to face that fear, it actually morphed into a guide, a spirit guide, which is just kind of crazy that that's what happened. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> that's amazing. So, so now she has this like, does she continue to use these techniques? Like if she's starting to go into her chronic pain flares, is this something that she can keep going back to that? Like, okay, yep. My inner child had some things that she needed to say, or my spirit guide had things I needed to say. And, and this was how they were getting my attention basically. Yeah. We created a daily practice for her. Um, and you know, I would say in the short term, that's really nice to just check in with your parts. However often you feel like you need to, Personally, I've built it into my own lifestyle where like I can be multitasking living life and just checking with parts when I get triggered. So mm -hmm. like if my inner child is triggered. I can look at them and say like, hey, I see you. I hear you. I'm listening. Do you know how old I am? Do you know that I am strong and capable? Um, do you have what you need? What do you need? And then like providing what they need or sometimes too, I think this is where it can get a little in the weeds is... And this is what I gave to the client as well. It's like recognizing when something is just a story that's just like a, a thought that's like not worth paying attention to where you can just like swipe it clean, right? Because mm -hmm. not every thought needs to be 
you know, deeply overanalyzed and figuring out what part it's coming from. And right. So, and later, I guess I'll ask you a question about this, but yeah, so it, it can become a daily practice. It can be in as little as two to five minutes where you just drop into a meditation, play some binaural beats, and then just start seeing who pops up, where they are, what they look like, what they want, what they know about you. And you can like totally remain in control when you do this mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know if she's still actively doing it. Um, I've, this client and I are no longer working together, but when we left, she was still applying it on a daily basis and feeling really confident, confident and capable. And even though she still had pain, she felt that it wasn't as high as it was before and that she could still participate in life and feel way happier when she was participating too. So, and that's huge. I don't like, I really don't know many people who expect to go through their life with zero pain, like on our little zero to 10 scale, you know, I feel like a lot of people are like, you know, I don't, I feel like I'm kind of always at like a two, like there's always something that feels a little tight or a little achy or a little this or a little that. So it's like still having pain is not necessarily a bad thing. It just lets us know like, okay, we might want to move that a little bit more. We've been sitting a little bit too long. That's an indication that your body's trying to tell you like, Hey, get up and stretch a little bit. You know, pain's not a bad thing. And so having pain for somebody who's living their life at a seven, and then to be able to live their life at a four, that's a very different life that this person is experiencing. So some people might think like, well, if they still have pain, then obviously it didn't work all the way. Not necessarily. People with chronic pain are on a totally different scale than people without chronic pain. I do a lot of education for my patients regarding chronic pain because as, as you know, chronic pain is no longer really a physiological tissue issue. It's really more of a brain spinal cord reflex issue and how your body's kind of interpreting the world around it. And so while you know, I give this analogy of like, okay, let's say you have chronic pain and I don't have chronic pain. And we had somebody who had a, like a fist to our abdomen and they were just resting it there. You know, I might say that this is a, you know, this is a, a two and you might be like, I don't really feel anything. It's a zero. And then they might push a little bit harder. And I might say like, oh, this is like a three. And you might be like, yeah, this is like a three. And then they might push a little bit harder. And I might be like, ooh, this is like a six. And you might be like, yeah, it's like a four. And then I might push a little bit harder. And I'm like, okay, I'm at like a nine. And you're like, maybe a five. And so what we notice with chronic pain is that those who experience chronic pain, they will experience pain sooner than people who don't have chronic pain, but they will also tolerate more stimuli before they're like reporting the pain as high as those who don't have chronic pain. And so when your scale is so massive and there's so much stimuli that accounts for every single number on that scale, dropping from a seven to a four is a massive improvement for somebody with chronic pain. Whereas if you go and you sprain your ankle, you might think like, well, I'm still in a four out of 10. Well, yeah, we still have some physiological healing that needs to happen. We still have some recovery that needs to occur. So just a little side note on chronic pain for people to kind of understand how this inner child work can be so beneficial if you are experiencing chronic pain, that like, that is a pretty substantial reduction in intensity. Yeah, that's so true, Allison, especially because the other part about having chronic pain in general is that you start to live your life in fear mm -hmm. of when is the next flare up of, I don't think I can handle this anymore. This is not, you know, there a lot of fear of participating in life again starts mm -hmm. to occur and I mean, I feel like we're talking about almost like two different types of traumas since we're bringing in the chronic pain part now. Of like, yeah. <laughs> chronic pain can be born of capital T, lower T trauma that's happening psychosocially, but it, it can also, chronic pain can be, can cause the trauma, right? So mm -hmm. both of those things, I mean, it's so interwoven because we all have our own big T and little T traumas in our life that yeah. it's, uh, the way that I, it got explained to me about this stuff was that when we go through an experience that triggers us to the point where it becomes traumatic in our lives and trauma is different for everybody, right? It depends on your sensitivities and, you know, so something could be traumatic to me, but not to you, similar to your, the example you just gave with pain. And so everybody's different with regards of what is considered trauma, but regardless, when we have trauma, 
then it almost breaks off a little piece in our brain where normally our memories would be stored over here, but because this was traumatic, it's now being stored over here. And it's like not being processed to be complete, which is why we hold on to it. And then that piece of us gets broken off in time. And that's where that, where, however we were in that time, right? However, how old we were, um, who around us had influence in our life, what we wear, what we thought about ourselves, that part lives in the brain until it gets resolved. Mm -hmm. And so in order to be authentically whole and come back into our wholeness, it's all about just cleaning, kind of like cleaning that stuff up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's your trauma or as well as the, the trauma that can create pain in your life or the pain that creates trauma in your life. Mm -hmm. That was very beautifully explained. I appreciate that. <laughs> that was really good. Tying um, it all together. Yes, tying it all together. Well, and I will say, like, so I obviously going through having <clears throat> going through a lot of coaching and things like that. Like, I have I was introduced to this like world of like just kind of sitting with your inner child and seeing what they need and kind of checking in and stuff like that. And it was a practice that I had kind of participated in for a while, and I kind of like stepped away from it for a while, and. <clears throat> I will say like I have been feeling off in the last couple months and I've been trying to do some like new things, some different things, just seeing like, Oh, does this kind of feel better for me or not better for me? I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen. I changed too many things at one time and my nervous system was like, Ooh, we are not happy. And so after about like a month of like waking up with stress streams and like really weird stuff and things that like I thought should have been beneficial for me that ended up being really, really not great. Um, as far as like how I was feeling, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of circle back to some things that I know feel good in my body and feel good in my heart and my soul, just kind of get a reset. Obviously there's some things here that are not allowing me to do these other things and allow these other things to be as beneficial for me as they are for other people. So like one of the things that I wanted to do was, um, there are these like sleep visualizations, guided meditations that you can play while you sleep that can kind of like drip in positive messaging as you sleep into your subconscious, which to me and the scientist in me, like that feels really good. That seems like a really great idea. Well, if I'm doing, if I'm doing one of these and it's about um, confidence and self-love and I am then waking up with a panic nightmare and sweating, it's like, okay, there's some things going on here that like I need to address because my nervous system is clearly finding this to be almost like a threatening message to have full confidence and self-love. Like, okay, there's some things to address here. So I kind of decided to take a break on some of that and just kind of get back into the things that I know have been helpful for me. And so one of the things that I love, if anybody is a yoga person out there, Travis Elliott is like one of my favorite yogis in the world. And I love his guided meditations. I think that they are fantastic. Um, his verbiage resonates really well with me. His imagery resonates really well with me. And so I was like, I'm going to go back to doing some of these and um, just kind of getting my mind right again. So I did my brain dumping and this just happened this week. So this is like people who are in this world and, and do these things. And like, even we kind of just need a little bit of reset. Um, and so I was doing this guided meditation and the intention of this guided meditation, as you go into it, whenever you do a meditation, for those who don't do those, you really want to kind of come into it with an intention. And so the intention of this one was to like have a, um, like just to have like a magnificent day, just like set the intention to just have a great day. And I was like, that's just kind of what I felt like I needed. And so I'm sitting here and I'm doing this and I'm just listening to it and I'm like, okay. And I'm, you know, I'm, there's a gratitude component of this and there's like a visualization component of this and there's all these things. And all of a sudden I find myself in like a full on consoling session with nine-year-old Allison who is just needing to say a whole bunch of stuff. She was not feeling great. She was feeling um, scared and unloved and out of control. And for those who don't know my background, when I was nine years old, I was in a car accident. I broke my leg and I ruptured my spleen. Um, prior to that car accident, by all accounts from everybody else in my life, I was a very, very um, skilled athlete, specifically soccer and basketball, but I also did gymnastics and I also played softball. Um, and I was, by all accounts, very, very, very good. 
Um, I don't tend to remember a lot about my childhood specific memories. I tend to remember more of general vibes like, oh, I know I had a lot of fun. I know I felt loved. Like these are all like the conscious messaging, what I remember of my childhood. Whereas like other people are like, do you remember playing Oregon Trail? And I'm like, I've never played that a day in my life. And they were like, "Um, I literally went to school with you. And we absolutely went to the computer lab and you were there. And I have no recollection of this. So that's just how my memory works. Um, But anyways, in this car accident when I was nine, broke my leg, ruptured my spleen, and I had what's called an external fixator. So basically the, the way that they tried to help fix my leg was to put these like pins and rods into my bone in my thigh to kind of realign it and kind of keep it all together. Uh, what we didn't realize was that in the result of all of the trauma and trying to keep me from bleeding out because I had multiple blood transfusions, they were concerned that I was going to have to lose my spleen. Um, they kind of set the leg as best they could and it ended up growing it growing back together or healing with like a 35 degree torsion. So while my hip felt normal, my lower leg was very turned in because in the middle of my femur, the middle of my leg bone, it had broken and it had turned and it had set in that direction. So from that point on, then now I was running with one leg really turned in. So I was kind of knock kneed. I was tripping over myself and I definitely lost a step when I was playing sports and it didn't occur to me at the time. I don't think it would really occur to anybody. I was still playing, you know, travel soccer. I was still playing travel basketball. I just wasn't as good as I had been. And it wasn't until the last few years that I kind of was able to sit down with my nine-year-old self and realize, oh, I lost my identity as an athlete at nine years old. So this like person that I thought I was, this strong, fit, athletic kid has this moment and then now my entire life has changed and all of these decisions are being made based on what happened when I was nine years old. And so because my leg grew together wrong, after I was done growing, they had to go back in, they had to re-break the leg, they had to turn it. It's straight now, which is great. Um, but then the next year I tore my ACL playing basketball and the following year I tore my other ACL playing basketball. So I had this story in my head that I had this broken body and that's what got me into physical therapy. So while I was sad to like, while I felt like I had this broken body and that's just a story, but that's what I was operating off of. It did take me to the field of physical therapy, which I'm grateful for. So I can look back at all these different points in my time. I can see how that little poor wounded child kind of made decisions and it took me where I am now, but that doesn't mean I still need to sit with these stories. And so as I've been feeling really off and, you know, not feeling super great over the last couple months, I sat down. I'm doing this guided meditation thinking, I'm just going to have this great, wonderful day. I'm going to set the intention. It's going to be wonderful. And all of a sudden, my like nine-year-old child popped up and was like, um, I have I have to talk to you. <laughs> and it was like, end up being like 15 minutes of like hard sobbing. So like to give people the nitty gritty, dirty components. It's not always that way. But sometimes when big stuff comes up, it is ugly. It is hard. It is inconvenient. I had things I needed to do. Um, it was not something I wanted to do at that point in time. I still wanted to get my workout in. And I had clients or I had patients to see. So like I had things to do. I did not have time for this. But I was like, you know what? This is obviously a big one. And what I what I was able to find clarity in, and this has happened with multiple times, is you end up finding clarity of like, okay, what is it that I am actually looking for? You know, is it a sense of, you know, like a lack of follow through or is it safety or is it um, self-love or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, but I was able to kind of sit there. And for me, I'm always meeting her either on a park bench like at a soccer field or in a bedroom, like sitting on a bed, like a parent with a child and just kind of like wrapping her up in a big, strong hug and just letting her know like, Hey, you don't have to be brave. I can be brave for you. You don't have to go into this, you know, rehab in in a hospital and an ICU by yourself. I can do that for you. Now, I had incredibly supportive parents. They were there every step of the way. I was never left alone. They were involved in every single decision that was made. So there wasn't a lot for a nine-year-old to do. It wasn't like I was going through that process by myself. You know, There was nothing anybody could have done differently for me to have a different experience to not be dealing with this right now. It's just 
how the chips fell and how my nervous system internalized what was going around me and trying to make sense of it. That's really all it came down to. And you know, what's really cool is that you are normalizing that you don't have to have a super crappy childhood to be, to have these problems, right? Like every, every single one of us is going to have some sort of story operating on a loop that is creating dysfunction in our lives from low level, like completely traumatized children who have horrible lives really young to the completely like had the best parents in the world. And I mean, this is just humanity, right? This is what it means to be human is that we go through these processes. And there's a couple of things that I heard in your story that I just want to point out for the audience is number one, you turned your pain into your purpose, meaning that you made it so that life didn't happen to you. It happened for you. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of doing work like this, along with everything else you hear about in this podcast. It's all these healing modalities that you can apply into your life so that your pain no longer has to run your life, that you can use it for a reason and totally have that compassion for yourself. And you said earlier that you don't feel like you love yourself, or at least in that moment you didn't, but then that triggered the action to actively love yourself because love is an action. It's not a noun. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so incredible that you were like, I'm not loving myself very well right now. Okay. I'm going to actively love myself right now. And then that turned into, so tell us now after you spent some time reparenting yourself, which is what um, Allison was describing of going in there and nine-year-old Allison was having so much fear and grief Mm-hmm. And she just needed to let the grief out, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of this happens, it, it bubbles up to the surface because it's asking for a release. And when you can let yourself grieve, when you can let yourself cry, and I'm especially talking to any of my male identifying people out there because this tends to be indoctrinated in men to not feel their emotions, to not grieve, mm-hmm. the more you can let it out and surrender to all your feelings like that in a, in a sacred container that you have set for yourself by learning this work, then the more that that is going to, the quicker you're going to let it come through you and come out of you so that you can come back to your whole worthy, authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that reparenting aspect. So after you reparented yourself, then tell us kind of what happened next. Where are you now? Yeah. So this would have been, oh goodness gracious. This has been a long week. This was yesterday morning. <laughs> um <laughs> Holy cow. I feel like it's been a so week already. 24 hours. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, cause it was, it was my birthday and then it was like my best friend's birthday. And then it was my daughter's birthday. And then it was labor day. And then we're leaving to go to Atlanta for pelvic con. So it's like all of these things have happened in like a week. Um, and then my mother-in-law, you know, had, she had to have surgery and that whole time it was just like, Oh my gosh, has that really only been a day? Um, but I will tell you when I was done with that, there was this sense of like, oh my gosh, I can breathe again. Like I didn't realize that I had not, that I had so much heaviness in my chest, you know, cause it always comes on so slowly, you know, unless you're like having a panic attack where it comes on quite rapidly, but in general, the stuff kind of, I feel like it builds up really slowly. And once you clear it, you're like, oh my gosh, I was carrying so much extra that I like did not need to be carrying. Um, and then last night, I did wake up once, but I was able to go back to sleep, which has not been happening. I've been kind of getting like very, very minimal sleep and then being awake for multiple hours and like early mornings and stuff like that. And so I was able to get a lot better sleep last night. Um, So I did not feel the need to power nap today, which is great. Um, But yeah, so I'm really excited about kind of getting back into that because I think that I've kind of, you know, I... I've talked about this in the past where I really have a, um, one of my like addictive tendencies is professional storytelling. And so sometimes that's a TV show. Sometimes it's a movie right now it's books and it's like fiction books. And so it's like, it's not even like, it's really like growing my mind (laughs) that much, but it's just like, you know, it's fun and it's lighthearted and it's whatever, but I'm like running from one to the next to the next. And I had wanted to get back into reading because I wanted to get off of like mindlessly scrolling on social media. But what I recognize that I've done is kind of just filled one addiction with the next. And it's like, oh, okay. And this is what I had kind of realized like a week or so ago where it's like, okay, we need to put the books down. 
because we're just kind of basically hiding one thing with another and recognizing that like, okay, why is there an addiction towards like, what am I looking for? Am I looking for checking out? Am I looking for escapism? Like what, what is it that I'm like trying to run from and not being present? Because that's really what the problem is. It's not that I love scrolling on social media or I love reading books or I love watching TV shows or anything like that. It just allows me to not have to pay attention to the thing that I'm trying to avoid right now. So that's the bigger issue there. Um, but because it's been multiple months of basically kind of avoiding all of those parts of myself have been trying to speak and I haven't been listening. I haven't been giving them the opportunity to say anything. So it's been this build up, build up, build up over multiple months of escapism. And I think then it finally got to a point where it's like, Ooh, I feel really badly. And I would not be able to describe to anybody what that means. I just, I feel off. I feel like I'm unmotivated. I feel like I'm not, I'm not even doing the basics that I need to do in order to like make my life work the way I want it to work. Um, and all I want to do is sit and read. It's like, okay, well, there's a bigger issue here. So let's get rid of the books. <laughs> let's get back into the stuff and figure out what's going on here. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how it's been working for me. So I'm feeling much better, like even within 24 hours of having like processed that big thing and then having that intention of like, okay, we're not going to sit here and grab the book, every opening we have, like, we're going to just, just focus on you and be connected to yourself and not get distracted and escape into things again. Uh, that is so brave to face your pain. And I think it's really important to honor that in general. And also it brings up a really interesting point of intentional versus unintentional avoidance, mm -hmm. which is something that I have been exploring recently through the work of Dr. David Hawkins, the author of Letting Go and Healing and Recovery and all this stuff. You can check him out. But one thing that he talks about specifically is when we talk about this deep surrender work about like looking at your parts of uh, doing all of that, it first we have to number one, consent to it, right? Like there are times in our lives where we're just not really in the right spot to handle this stuff. And mm -hmm. So we can intentionally enact suppression or um, escapism, mm -hmm. right? Or letting it or like uh, getting it out of us through like talking to a friend mm -hmm. or something like that, which is normally not how we would want to handle our emotions per se. That's just going to get it, get you to the point where, okay, the Christ, we call that like crisis time. So when you're in crisis mode and you need to, you're like, okay, I'm in crisis. I don't think I have the appropriate capacity or bandwidth right now to handle this. So I'm going to table it. And this is where, how, where we create a sacred container for our parts, which is so important because number one, the first thing you have to do to get into this work is be resourced. That was like the first thing that I learned in therapy is like, we don't go into this work until you know how to handle any feelings that might pop up and know how to turn it off and turn it on because you don't want to be flooded with all of your emotions without any way to control them. Right. So creating a sacred container and it's super easy to do. We could even do it right now where if you just close your eyes, take an inhale, take an exhale and just start to right in front of you, imagine a bubble and then just start to peel any sort of negative feelings, thoughts, beliefs, any emotions, just starting to drop them into that bubble and when you feel like you have it all out, you can gently hold that bubble, put it in a box. And if you have longer time, you could really just imagine this box and, you know, like give it texture, give it color, give it sound, um, give it a shape. And then you would put that bubble in the box, gently close it, say to it, because there's parts in this box right now, like, I will come back to you. I love you. Right now is not a good time, but I will be back. And then just storing that part somewhere safe. And then you can take an inhale. Exhale and open your eyes. So it's a really simple container exercise when you feel overwhelmed to just like table it. Mm -hmm. But you do have to come back to it, whether it's like today, tomorrow, in a week. Just don't forget to come back to it and deal with those parts. So that would be like intentional avoiding and then you can indulge yourself right where I think all of us get in our all of us especially who are deep in this work and this can happen to us where we're recognizing that we're escaping too much or trying to avoid our feelings and 
then we beat ourselves up about it, which is this inner critic. <laughs> Hello, part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, inner critic, for reminding me. I already know. I don't need to hear it. <laughs> and that, you can see how that creates that shame spiral, right? Mm -hmm. So, it's like you know better. You should have done. You should have been doing this the whole time. You knew this was happening. Yeah. Yeah. All the stories. And we are so human. And so it's okay for us to sometimes take a break from being super awesome because we just need to chill for a moment. <laughs> I've had to learn that the hard way, right? Where I have such these, these big aspirations. And sometimes you're just like, I just need a break from yeah. being the best. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what I really need, I think if anybody has any good recommendations out there, I really need great and entertaining books that are not part of a series. These dang authors out here with these five and six book amazing series, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to know what happens next. And I never read a series unless it's completed because like to sit and wait, it just drives me bonkers. I can't do it. So I did read off of multiple recommendations, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And that was so good. And it was perfect because that was the story and it was done. And I was like, great. I don't have to read a second book after this. We're just, we're good. And then it was like, I could like, I waited like almost a week before starting another one. And it was like, I just needed that little bit of detox. But like, I read the um, Court of Thorns and Roses series, like six books oh long. God. I know. And everyone's like, you need to read Throne of Glass. You need to read Crescent City. I was like, I can't. Oh, deep. <laughs> I know. I can't. I, I mean, I want to. I want to know what it is, but I can't because I will do jack diddly for the <laughs> next month and a half until I'm done with all of those. I mean, like, and it is super disengaging. It's like so distracting to me. I am so disengaged with everything around me. It's like I'm, and I'll get the book like written and on audiobook so that I can like listen in the car and then catch up reading while I'm sitting at soccer practice. And then I can listen and like, I mean, it's, it's a real problem. So yeah, it sounds like you and book need some boundaries. <laughs> we need some boundaries. Boundaries have not been set very well. Um, and so, and I feel like I'm so much better with movies and TV. Like I, I don't, we don't watch TV in the bedroom. Like it's very intentional when we're going to watch a movie, like that kind of is better, but holy cannoli books have whipped me in the butt this summer. So if anybody has good recommendations of a single book, a single book, <laughs> no series, Please reach out and let me know. Um, I like fiction. I love fantasy. I am a Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, Aragon, Girl for Life, like all that kind of stuff. I'm all about it. Um, but yes, single books. That's the problem with fantasy is they build a world. So you've got all the stuff. Anyway, I digress, but that's what the problem is. <laughs> okay, let me stroke your ego for a second because... <laughs> Fiction is actually a great way to build your empathy, to build your imagination and your creativity. So people will like, try to like knock on fiction, especially us in the science world, because they're like, oh, we got to like get all the knowledge. But truthfully, like it's nice to have a little mix of both. Personally, yes. what I like to do is, do, do you use the Pomodoro technique for anything? I've never okay. heard of this. Oh, okay. A little, Ooh, uh, a little focus hack for you guys. Set a timer for 25 minutes. And then when that timer goes off, you have to stop and give yourself a five minute break and then you can continue. Obviously you don't have to stop, but that's how the technique works and it helps you with your focus. So I've been doing that so that, cause I love reading, like it's one of my favorite things in the world. So I'll read my nonfiction book in the morning and I'll set my timer for 25 minutes and then I have to stop. And it helps me break that up because I also get obsessive and I'm like, I just want to read all day. Yeah. Sometimes I let myself do that, but most of the time, I mean, you can't, right? So I do that. That's tough to do. <laughs> and then if you need to, you can do it at night. But I read fiction at night just to get me sleepy and to like feel all good before bed. So I'll usually just, I try to stop at a certain time so that I'm not staying up late getting in my book world. But yeah, so those are some like, if you are like Allison <laughs> and can't have zero boundaries around your escapism, maybe so trying, <laughs> try out the Pomodoro technique and see if it helps you. So but, you set your timer for 25 minutes, then you have to give yourself five minutes off, but you can go back to it if you still feel that. Okay, so I feel like that helps because I feel like when it's like a hard stop, there's almost a scarcity of like, but I, I won't have another chance to read later kind of thing. So yeah. I really like that you can go back to it. It's like, um, it's like when you have all of those, like, um, 
elimination diets and it's like the second you eliminate something that's the only thing you want where it's like if you can have like a little bit of something that's a little better so um okay I'm gonna try that I'm gonna try that this week actually I'm I'm a little I'm a little shell-shocked I might not open a book at all this week because I'm (laughs) like I need to detox but when I start reading again then I will try that technique and see if it helps me oh my goodness you know what's super funny about this I actually hated reading when I was a kid. I was um, one of those kids who was like, you know, where I grew up, they called it bear's den, but it was like the class where like the kids who can't read very well are like pulled out and like given special attention. And I feel like nowadays, I feel like that's a lot more accepted. Like I don't hear my kids talk about this type of stuff in school, but I know they offer these services. When I was a kid, it was like, oh, all the stupid kids go out and learn how to read. Like, I mean, it was a lot more like negative stuff being said about it. So I hated reading. And my like, my parents like got me a tutor, hated it, everything about it. Um, and it wasn't until, so like, it was funny though, because my best friend loves to read. And like when we would have sleepovers at her house, she would literally just like read me stories because I love stories, but I hated reading. And so she loved the Harry Potter series. And so she had me go see the first two movies with her. And I was like, Oh my gosh, these are like really cute movies, whatever. Like we were probably high school at the time, like late high school. And then when the third movie came out, I was in college and she was like, do you want to go opening night? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we went opening night and I was like, Oh my gosh, I like love these movies. I probably should read these books. And because I was like so much older when I started reading and they were so easy to read and they were such good stories, Harry Potter, you know, thank you. Thank you. JK Rowling's no matter what people say about him, it's a good story um very very much like got me into reading and so that was how my reading journey started I hated reading as a kid (laughs) Ah, that is so powerful I actually just finished reading a book called limit it's called limitless the author's Jim quick and it's all about teaching you how to learn better because I mean that's essentially what we're all doing right now and if you're listening to this podcast chances are you probably love reading or learning and it's so powerful if you can learn how to enjoy learning and reading mm-hmm. and actually like remember what you learn and then apply what you learn. It's just, it's such a good book. Everyone should read it, but I'm actually reading Harry Potter right now. As yes. we <laughs> I've read it a million, a million times, seen all the movies a million times, but because I read the book limitless, I'm learning how to speed read right now. And so he said to like pick an easy book. That's like a good story book that you can just, practice your speed reading with. So that's my speed reading book right now is Harry Potter. So another Mm -hmm. shout out to JK Rowling because I have a goal of reading a book a week and Harry Potter is going to help me get there. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. So let me know how that goes for you because like, I feel like with speed reading for me, I'd be like, okay, well, I, I read the page and I have no idea what happened. So yeah. I mean, that's where like, we don't learn like your whole thing about learning too. I mean, it's another story that gets put in our heads because our school systems are kind of effed up a little bit, right? Let that's a whole nother podcast episode. (laughs) Podcast episode. But I mean, yeah, that's where a lot of our limiting beliefs come from is like what we learned in school, including how we don't learn how to learn when we're in school. We just learn a bunch of stuff, but Mm -hmm. they don't teach us how to learn. And the ways that we learned how to read when we were young, no longer apply when we're older. And we actually like, no language, right? And have a bigger vocabulary. And so it's all just like, we just have to learn a new way of doing things. And that Mm -hmm. applies to anything in life. You think the most simple thing that we've done for for a long time, like reading, you're like, I know how to read. Well, Mm -hmm. do we actually know how to read? Like, is there a better way to learn how to read? Is, are we like, there's always a new way or a better way or a more creative way. And that is how you maintain a growth mindset, my friends. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, hey, we have new math now, right? Common Core, right? So (laughs) we've got new math. Old math wasn't cutting it. We've got new math now. And I mean, you should hear my kids will say things about numbers and like, like they're, they see numbers everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, I like never paid attention this much when I was a kid. So I think it probably is doing something, you know, and I would agree with the reading. Like, honestly, I bet you, I bet you it kind of plays into a little bit of how like we are as like learners, like people have a preferred learning style. If I'm learning new information, I very much prefer to hear it from a reputable source and then go read what the thing is so that I have an idea of like what to expect from it. Um, whereas like other people are like, no, I need to like read the book first before I hear someone else talk about it. It's like, if I read the book first, 100% of the time I'm falling asleep by page four. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, uh, and I'm a pretty smart person, but it's like, I cannot get past it. 
So hearing people talk about it first, it, and it probably goes to like my reading style. I should probably learn how to read differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And th- I mean, this is why I love people so much. Like we're all so different and I love all the systems out there that try to categorize us to make sense of our world. Right. Like mm-hmm. the book I just read, Jim Quick, he created a a little quiz you can take to learn your learning style. Like for instance, I'm a dolphin, meaning that I'm a very creative type and I really connect to stories. So if I want to remember something, I have to create a story around it and strict rules don't always work for me. I'm not super systematic or that's one of my flaws, right? So I can work on being a little more systematic to create a little more order to my creative chaos. Right. Um, So yeah, there's like, everybody is so different. And that's why I love human design, which I know you guys have talked about on the podcast before. Like, it is so important to learn the art of understanding who you are. Mm -hmm. Like that is the first pillar. And this is what my coaching business is all around. The first pillar is about yourself, yourself with a capital S. So like learning all this inner child work, learning how to manage your parts, how to create your sacred containers, how to go in deep, but it's also like learning who you are, like, what do you like? And, um, things like what, what are your values, right? How do you learn? How are you like, who are you? Cause if we know ourselves better and we can actually then love ourselves, which is like self-acceptance and self-love, imagine a world where everybody accepted and loved themselves I think that that would spread and our whole world would be just so much happier, Mm -hmm. so much more creative. There would be less scarcity, less people holding on to resources because they're scared. There'd be more sharing, you know, like this is the world I dream of, Allison. I love it. I love it. Keep doing that. And the more people that can listen to this, hopefully they can do that as well. And we can start getting some, what is it called? Like collective consciousness. Yes. Moving towards, moving towards that. I think that would be fantastic. We Um, are definitely in our next phase of evolution of humanity. I wish I could remember the name for it. It was by this other book. I'm always reading books, as you know, but um, the author of Gene Keys, Richard Rudd, coined a term for the next phase of humanity that's basically is us moving into more of this like collective consciousness. I mean, you see, you have kids. I don't have any kids, but I'm sure like you already kind of mentioned that they're, they're just so expanded in their ability to connect and feel and process and like our Mm -hmm. world is getting faster and faster, but also our children are getting more woke, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, and it is, it is possible to have these conversations with your kids, you know, like we definitely, we do the emotional intelligence conversations, the understanding the different parts and pieces of themselves and things like that. Like our, one of our kiddos just this past week was basically, you know, we do a lot of behavioral observation and like, why might that person be responding like that? Why might they have said that to you? That type of thing. And um, he was experiencing some um, just behaviors he wasn't a fan of while he was, you know, out and about near some friends. And so I asked him, he was going to be around them again. And I said, well, hey, how was it today? And he was like, oh, it was fine. Nobody said anything. I was like, oh, well, that's good. And he's like, yeah, nobody's, what, what was the wording? Um, yeah, they're, um, their social, oh, I'm going to butcher this. No, I'm not. Their social standing was being diminished, so they felt the need to exert their power. I was like, that is what bullying is. Like, okay. Wow. Like, and he was, they, he was just able to see it just for, like, what it was. He was just like, yeah. So, like, so that wasn't happening today, so everybody was fine. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. So we don't have to we don't have to own what they're putting on us then. Like we can recognize it as like, that's a them thing, not a me thing. Like you do you boo and I will see you another day kind of thing. And he was like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Wow. And so let me ask you this to kind of bring the conversation full circle. Do you feel like doing your own inner child work has made you a better parent? 100%. Um, I, because so my iterations of parenting have changed so much just in the 13 years that I've been a parent. So I 
parented very much um, off of that like authorian style parenting at the beginning because I was a very young parent. So I parented based on what I saw and, and what I was taught. So that's what I did. Um, and then I was able to see how that kind of manifested into some pretty unfavorable behaviors um, and some challenges um, that our oldest has to kind of deal with that really were outside of his control. It was, it was almost a direct result of like my parenting style and my husband's parenting style. But a lot of that, the hurry up, rush, 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 you know, not giving him space to, you know, do things his own way. He need to be done our way, kind of that sort of thing. And then seeing how that manifested into school and the challenges he was experiencing in school and then the anxiety as he was getting older of like um, forgetting to turn in an assignment on time or not getting an A on something and all these things. And I was like, well, I don't even care if you get an A. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell my kids that, you know, school is BS. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not too worried about what your grades are as long as you feel like you're learning information. Like, that's, I'm just going to put that to the side. Um so as he has, as I've done my own work and I've been able to see how my, my presence in the moment, how my emotions in the moment are being dictated towards my children and how they are then responding. And then I was able to kind of recognize, like, I, as the adult, am expecting my child to have a higher emotional intelligence here. Like, that's, that's ridiculous, you know? So it's like, if my kids are getting upset or they're getting escalated or whatever, the last thing we need to do is to have me doing the same thing. I'm the parent. I'm the one in charge, right? Like, just like my nine-year-old me doesn't get to run my life anymore, you know, like I need to be the one to step in and provide that safety for my children to provide that comfort, provide that guidance to say, everything's going to be fine. I know you're super upset right now. Um, and we've done a lot of reparenting for our older two, our, our youngest is, is quite a bit younger. And so we've done a lot of reparenting for the older two, as we have grown as parents and seen how these behaviors have changed things. And we've had things that we've screwed up with the youngest one as well. And they're all going to be in counseling as every human should be. And they're going to have their own stuff to deal with in the future. And we've told them like, Hey, we're doing the best that we can. We just hope that at the end of the day, you know, that we love you, we support you, and we're here to help you in any way that we can. But we know that there are things that we have done and how we have parented that's going to change how you go through your life. And we hope it's for the better, but we recognize that there might be things as you become an adult that you're not happy with. And it probably is going to be a direct result of how we parented you. And we are here and open to have that conversation if the time comes. That's amazing. What a powerful lesson takeaway for new parents who are just getting started too, of just, you don't have to be perfect. And the, even if you're not a parent, the first place you can start learning how to parent is by reparenting yourself. So. Reparenting yourself. Absolutely. Because the thing is, is that like, I think one of the hardest things is the, like when I think a lot of parents who are like our parents' generation, when they hear that we're doing like inner child work or reparenting or things like that, it gets kind of taken as like an insult. Like you didn't do a good enough job. So now mm. I have to. And that's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. In some scenarios it is. Don't get me wrong. There's some pretty crappy parents out there. But for many of us, we had supportive, loving parents, you know, and we still have, like you talked about earlier, we all still have trauma. And what we get to do as an, as an adult is we get to decide if we want to keep living our way, the way that we've been living, or if we want to change the way that we're doing stuff and there's support out there to change that if we want to. And quite frankly, the biggest growth comes from hardships. And so it's like, if we went through our entire life without any hardship, like we, we might not do the great things that we are able to do in our life because we wouldn't have the motivation to do that, you know? So it's like, we can't necessarily be hateful or angry or resentful towards those things that have happened in our life that are challenging because at the end of the day, they did help morph us into who we are today. And now as an adult, we get to determine, is this the type of adult I want to be? Or do I want to make changes? And a lot of times that is going back and reparenting your child or your inner child. Because when you reparent your inner child, you're able to have that self-love, that self-respect, that confidence, all of that stuff that then your child can say things to you and you don't have to own that. You don't have to be triggered because they're insulting the fourth grade you. And you want to respond like the fourth grade you. You can respect the situation for what it is of you are young, you are going through puberty, you are having a lot of elevated, you know, um, hormones and responses right now. And I can be that safe person to hear all of the hatred you want to spew right now or all of the anger you want to spew right now. And I don't have to be triggered like a fourth grader. I can sit here and I can hold that space for you. 
and then we can hug it out or then we can talk about it or then we can do whatever we need to do. Mm. Power of inner child work, everybody. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. In action. Um, all right. Thalia, is there anything else? Cause I know that you are so great on the resource side of things. You've already shared some really great ones so far. I know that Abigail will link those below. Is there anything else that you're like, Hey, if you're thinking this is kind of where you'd like, you feel like you need to get started on this. This is kind of where I'd recommend you get started. Mm -hmm. I think number one was that sacred container exercise that we went over at the beginning. If you want like specific action steps, start mm -hmm. there with the resourcing step. So sacred container. Um, and then some simple action steps you can take is number one, just taking time to identify your parts. Mm -hmm. You can write them down, draw pictures, create names for them, you know, whatever makes sense for you. Like for example, I have a part that's called the cloud and she is a protector part who sometimes will shield me when I need shielded. She used to be my disassociation, right? When I was, um, before I had handled my own trauma, I would disassociate. And now I have this part that comes in and comes out like a beautiful cloud, right? So that was the result of my own inner child work was um, identifying that part and then healing that part. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love it's, that. It's great. And so that's step two, step two, step three is to just talk to your parts. What do they need? What, who, who are they? How old are they? Um, you know, just conversate with them in your own head and do it often because they can give you some really valuable information about how you're feeling. Um, the next step would be asking, how is this part trying to keep you safe? And then thanking that part for keeping you safe and then asking it if it's okay to step aside so that you can now step in because you are a fully resourced, whole, authentic, worthy person and you value their input, you value them. So like thanking them and being in gratitude for their ability to keep you safe when you weren't resourced is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so those would be your action steps, everybody, if you want to apply this information right away. As always, we are big advocates for getting help in this stuff. So I, Allison and I are not experts in this. This is just what has how it's presented in our own lives, how we've used it, how we apply it to help our clients. Mm -hmm. And so if you do feel like you need professional help, go ahead and seek somebody who's trained in internal family systems. Um, I love EMDR therapy. That's what worked the best for me. Uh, Allison, I don't know if you have any other recommendations of resources or people or types of therapy. I'm a huge fan of coaches. Um, EMDR is a big one. I really like EMDR from the, um, the like clinician side, the counseling side. I think that is fantastic because it's a really great way to process the trauma without reliving the pain of it. Um, and then I like for more of the more frequent check-ins and actionable steps, I've had fantastic results with life coaches and just kind of getting, um, word of mouth referrals and things like that with people who are really well versed in how your nervous system is interpreting the world. Cause at the end of the day, we have a thought and then we have a chemical cascading of events that happens to give us an emotion and a feeling. And then we take action based on that. And when you recognize that you can start, um, kind of, hearing those for what they are, not being scared of the things that are kind of on those lower vibrational sides of the scale. You're more your fear, your anxiety. You don't need to be scared of those. You're, they're trying, your body cannot use words to speak to you. So the best thing it can do is give you emotions and feelings. And so when we can learn to listen to those feelings and emotions, we can say, oh, okay, why are we feeling anxious about this? What's going on? Oh, this doesn't feel like the right business move. Why doesn't it feel like the right business move? Oh, because that person is giving me a weird vibe okay, maybe we need to, maybe this business venture is still a good thing, but not with this person, right? Or whatever the case may be. You know, your kid wants to stop playing a sport and you're not quite sure if you should kind of push them to continue or if you should let them walk, you know? All that type of stuff, just kind of tuning into how does your, your body's trying to communicate with you because it does know, it does know what you need. We just need to learn how to listen. Yeah, so strengthening your intuition is to mm -hmm. sum it up is what you said and, mm -hmm. and relying on coaches. And that's what I am, everybody. So if you yes. feel solid and you want to work with a coach, come find Please me. Call Thalia. 
you. <laughs> yes, please call Thalia. She's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, thank you again so much for stepping in today. This has been an absolutely delightful conversation. I'm so grateful for all of the binge reading you do and that you can share with us on all these resources. I feel like when I read stuff, I'm like, oh, that's so good. I remember the general sentiment of it, but I could not tell you the author or the book. I'm like, I know I read this somewhere and somebody correct me if I'm wrong on this. Whereas you're like, this book with this author. I'm like, that's amazing. So I am super appreciative that you can balance that out with me. Um, for anybody listening, um, please, um, feel free to share this episode. We know that this work is really, really beneficial for people. And all we're trying to do is just really help everybody in our community get more in tune with their body, get more in tune with their emotions, live a happier, healthier, joyous life, and then be able to kind of pass that on to those around them so that we can get that collective consciousness, bringing us into more love and joy. So we hope everybody has an absolutely fantastic week and we will see you all next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you all so much for taking the time out of your day to join us in this conversation. I hope that listening today has helped you lay foundations of compassion and care for your inner child. And through this work, I pray you find healing and peace for those parts of you that lay frozen in time, validating your experiences and integrating these practices to find strength in your footing moving forward and a greater capacity to handle anything life throws your way. Don't forget to check out the show notes below for an abundant list of resources that can help you on this journey. And let us know in the comments what resonated with you from today. We'd love to hear your insights on healing your own inner child and how you are making an effort to rewrite your own stories with love and resilience. We're beyond grateful for each and every one of you who has chosen to come along on this path towards nourishing the soul, healing the body, and expanding the mind. Until next time, may you be blessed with love and light.